ages ago, I used to say that I was an artist and that my classroom was the canvas. Now, I still think I'm an artist. I still think I'm a teacher, although the classroom has changed. It has expanded and now reaches around the world. And thank you, dear Ruckus Maker, for making that possible. My students are a little bit older than they used to be as well, but they are still as hungry as ever to learn, to stretch, and to grow. Today's conversation is about the art of talking with children. And as educators and ruckus makers, I think you'll be very interested in this topic. We also get into the concept of resilience, which, which is important for all leaders to be able to navigate. That's, that's a foundational tool or necessary skill for any leader anywhere, and even more so these days after the last few years we've been through. Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools. And this show is for you, a ruckus maker, which means you invest in your continuous growth, you challenge the status quo, and you design the future of school right now. And we'll be back with the regular conversation scheduled today after some messages from our show sponsors. Develop your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as a part of Leading Learning, a brand new Certificate of School Management and Leadership course from Harvard. Leading Learning runs from February 15th to March 15th, 2023. Apply by Friday, February 3rd. Enroll by Thursday, February 9th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Teachers have the power to impact children's lives in almost immeasurable ways. As an instructional leader, as much as you'd love to provide every teacher the support they need to learn and grow, you can't be with every teacher in every classroom. TeachFX is a whole new way to provide instructional leadership at scale and in a way that's teacher-centered. Teachers use TeachFX to record a lesson, and automatically get personalized, private feedback to guide their own self-reflection. See TeachFX for yourself and learn about our special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, here we are with Dr. Rebecca Rowland, who is the author of The Art of Talking with Children, right? Talk about a fantastic skill. Can't wait to dig into this content. Uh, She is a national certified speech language pathologist and adjunct lecturer at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, who's also a proud sponsor of the show, you might be aware and uh, she is also on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Roland lives in Boston with her family. So, Dr. Roland, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you have experienced uh, an emotional moment with a patient as a speech pathologist using song. I remember that story you were telling me. And I want to invite you to share that with the Ruckus Maker community. Definitely, yeah. So as a graduate student clinician, when I was first studying speech-language pathology, I was working with patients with aphasia who've had either, you know, some sort of traumatic brain injury, perhaps a stroke. 
and really are having trouble communicating with words. Um, and there's really one type of therapy, which is really powerful, using music and song, which you actually take a patient's hand, you work with them to do the rhythm of familiar songs. And actually, this has been found to stimulate language and emotions in patients um, who may not have been able to speak very much. And for me, as a really new clinician, I was just so amazed by the power of singing simple songs like Happy Birthday or very familiar childhood songs with these older yeah. patients who were able to talk in ways they couldn't have before. So that was really an inspiration for me in my career. Yeah, I can imagine uh, how that might have felt at the time. And, you know, um, what, what do you think that tells you about the power of language? Yeah, I think language is so much more powerful than we realize. We're often on autopilot with our language. We don't realize the power of song, of music, and even just our tone of voice and the way we enter a building um, with our words. So I think our words are much more powerful and set a tone from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, my partner, uh, she's she's uh, from Zimbabwe, right? So her mother tongue is Shauna, and I've, I've hired a Shauna uh, tutor. And so one of the things that she does is uh, she sends me children's YouTube, like sort of nursery, <laughs> nursery songs. <laughs> but it has actually really helped me learn some of the greetings and responses and that kind of thing. Um, because I, I can, I'm literally hearing the song right now as we're talking about it, right? Through my head. Definitely. So again, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I know that um, uh, you have an approach uh, or framework to access what lights people up. Do you mind sharing a bit about that framework? Definitely, yeah. So I've developed what I call the Rich Talk Framework. And this is really meant to support conversations, sort of great conversations between students, teachers, teacher leaders, anyone who interacts with students. And it has three components. So it's A, B, C. A stands for adaptive. So you're really trying to adapt to a child or student's temperament, their mood, when and where they want to talk, kind of when they are most open to having a great conversation. B is back and forth. So rather than lecturing at kids or kind of talking to kids, we're really thinking about how do you have that equal balance between, you know, the student talking and the adult talking. And C is child-driven. So really thinking about having conversations starting from a point of interest or worry or concern or engagement for the child. And so much research has shown that that's a really key way to motivate students and to help them learn much more profoundly. So yesterday I was uh, leading a, a leadership workshop, a kickoff, kickoff school, you know, type event, uh, actually in town, which was pretty cool because normally you're flying, you know, yes, like exactly. that, is, that, that could get tiring, but it was just mm-hmm. down the street, 10 minutes away. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, but I, I remember telling the faculty too, like, you know, how many of you actually when we were working as groups, did what we what we committed to doing for the entire time. How many of you kind of like went off a little bit? But the point I was trying to make is, I think some parts of uh, great teaching is uh, embracing the tension and letting go a little of control. And the connection that I'm making with what you're saying in terms of the rich talk framework. And please, if, if I'm messing stuff up, tell me like, <laughs> Danny, you're an idiot. And uh, this is actually what I'm trying to say. But um, my, my, what I heard you were talking about, like when you're going to the child first and say, like basically saying, what do you want to talk about, right? Or the problems, mm-hmm. you know, that you want to discuss and that kind of thing, you're giving up some control. And exactly. sometimes that, that could be tough, you know, for, for ruckus makers and educators and that kind of thing. 
I'm just curious, is there, is there anything you want to add, you know, to that sort of idea, if I, if I am pulling on the right thread, in terms of things that you've, you've learned from yourself or people you work with in terms of, yeah, giving up, giving up that control and transferring it to others? Definitely. Yeah. So I think for ruckus makers, the idea is to be creative about what you want to get across, about the curriculum, about your overall goals, and think about how can you bridge those goals with the goals or interest of your students. So rather than saying, I'm going to sit here and wait for students to come to me, how do you create that equal bridge where students are coming with their interests and you're coming with your goals and interests? How do you actually meet in the middle? And that's an actually much more profound experience generally for everyone than it is to just say, I'm going to sit here in my, in my curriculum and wait for you to come. Yeah, yeah. We'll wait for you over here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you might, you might not, not ever arrive. So okay. Exactly. That's, that's good. Uh, well, Rebecca, you know, we, I think you're interested in resilience, right? And uh, I, I certainly am uh, from a leadership lens and, and student lens as well. And I know that you talk about how it's formed in, in these micro moments. What does that mean? Definitely. Yeah. So I think we often see resilience as a really big topic. And we think about kids overcoming major challenges or bouncing back from surgeries or accidents or trauma. But really, resilience happens and is built through everyday conversations. So even in the small questions you're asking students, in the way you're framing questions, in the way you're framing mistakes, all of this builds up over time for students to either feel more resilient, more in control, or to feel more out of control and feel as though, okay, all of this is, you know, not going to get me where I want to go. Um, so I've actually developed a series of questions and story starters and things like that to support students in feeling resilient, to support them in having these kind of conversations. Not necessarily to say we're going to, you know, script the conversations, far from it, but really to just start the conversations, to allow them to bubble up more naturally and to have mm. both the educator and the student involved in them. Right. Can you give an example of one of those questions or starters that you tend to use? Definitely, yes. Yeah. So an example would be, for, for instance, um, so what is one place or one strategy that you tend to go to or that you think helps you when you're struggling? So what mm. is one place you feel safe? What's one strategy that helps And what is one person that can help you when you feel like you're struggling? And so here, in that sense, we're we're helping students to draw on their natural resilience, their natural strategies, and to raise their awareness about them. So we already know that students are more resilient than they may realize. And just by simply pointing out, you know, let's look at what's already working for you. Let's look on what you're relying on. And maybe even let's brainstorm further. What could you be doing that you're not doing? Um, let's go from your strengths to look at additional options. Those are really great ways of starting to build that resilience. So I might answer that with uh, a couch with a good book and whoever the protagonist is, <laughs> or potentially uh, outside anywhere, running around, just clearing my mind. And really, I'm just with myself. So definitely. Okay. What do you do if you don't mind sharing? That's, yes, uh, a few things. So I tend, I okay. play with my kids a lot. So a lot of times I yep. feel like when I'm in these kind of, small moments of my kids I don't think about, don't have time to think about kind of bigger issues. I also do a lot of physical things as well. So I do open water swimming uh, and I think find that sort of long meditative swims are really nice to just forget about the concerns of the day. 
But in Boston, like this is uh, really cold water. So is that oh, yeah. year round for you or do you stop yeah, at some point? I do stop. I do stop around uh, okay. close to mid-October. <laughs> yeah, it's a seasonal yeah. sport, but I do have a wetsuit. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember the last thing, and then we'll get back to your work. When I was living in Scotland, we went somewhere. It was called Akatubui. And there was some sea that we were connected to. And I remember stepping just my toe into the water and the shock of how cold it was, right? And this was a Scot this was a Scottish summer too, you know? Mm-hmm. But the wild thing is all the Scottish folks, they're just in there splashing around, having a good time. I'm screaming because it's like I think I'm about to die. And then all the English that travel north uh to to be up there to uh holiday, they all have wetsuits on. So it's just it was a really fascinating, you know, cultural experience for me. Okay. Um, back to the sort of question starters uh, and that kind of thing for, for Rich Talk. Is is that what's part of that resource that you have on the main pillars of Rich Talk or is that something else? Yes, definitely. So in my book, I actually provide so stories, research-based strategies, okay. and then also takeaways. So even at the back, there's an appendix that talks about um, even by ages and stages for children. So thinking about, well, what, how would you do this for a younger student? How would you do this for yeah. a high school or you know middle school student? Because I do think that obviously the framework is the same, but how we talk and kind of what we start with is yeah. dependent obviously on the student stage. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, congrats again on having the new book out, The Art of Talking with Children. And we highly encourage every ruckus maker to go pick up a copy. Uh, so in that book as well, you have seven areas that I think are, are key, if I remember. Can you list some of those if we haven't covered them so far in our talk? Sure. Yeah. So I really start with this idea of deeper learning. So learning is one of them, which is including curiosity. Um, there's empathy. Yeah. So really supporting empathetic and caring relationships, um, confidence, social skills, openness to others, which is a really key one. So thinking about not just visible differences between people, but invisible differences. So differences in learning, thinking, attention, and so on. And that's become a really big focus of my work as I think about how to counteract bias and how to help students really celebrate the differences among others. Gotcha. Well, let's talk a little more about that openness to others uh, because I could see how that'd be super helpful, you know, especially Mm -hmm. in an inclusive setting. So what could you tell us? about that. Sure. Yes. And so as a speech pathologist, I've worked in many inclusive settings and I've also done kind of pullout work. And so I've seen the effects of having inclusive conversations versus, for example, in classrooms where I would go in to meet a student and there would be this kind of groan, you know, the sense of, oh, this person's (laughs) coming in to see me and Uh, there's embarrassment. It's shameful. You know, so I've kind of been there with students and I feel like mm. I've sort of felt vicariously how I can imagine those students feel, you know, when this person comes in and it's a sign that something's wrong with you, quote unquote, you know, and so that sort of motivated me really to think about how this could change and how we could have classrooms that don't feel like that, you know, that don't feel bad to feel like you're in need of extra support or something like that. And so for me, I've really emphasized that all students, whether or not they have learning differences, all of us learn differently from each other. And all of us Mm -hmm. need to understand our own learning styles and celebrate how other people learn. So it's very important that we have these conversations with all learners, whether they're neurodiverse or whether they're neurotypical learners. And I couldn't emphasize more 
the fact of starting with a framework for everyone. So really thinking about, you know, what is your learning strength? What is challenging for you? Why do you think that is? Um, questions like that. What supports you to learn the best? Um, all of these questions really are great, not only for students who may be having challenges, but for students even who are in gifted education or who are in, you know, just sailing along. So I really think it's critical for um, for whatever grade as well. Absolutely. And speaking of critical, I think play and creativity is critical as well. Uh, maybe we can touch on that in just a second after we have a few messages from our show sponsors. So learn how to successfully navigate change, sharpen your school's success, and empower your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online professional development that fits your schedule. Courses include leading change, leading school strategy and innovation, leading people, and leading learning. You can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. The BLBS podcast is also brought to you by TeachFX. Research shows that the more students speak in class, the more they learn and the better they perform. TeachFX has helped hundreds of schools increase their student engagement by visualizing for teachers what portions of class are teacher talk versus student talk. Learn more at teachfx.com. And today's show is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher through the parallel process with students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. You can learn more and improve your students' executive functioning at organizedbinder.com. And uh, we're back with Dr. Rebecca Rowland, who's the author of a wonderful book that I highly recommend ruckus makers check out. It's called The Art of Talking with Children. And before the break, we were really uh, discussing this openness to others. And now I'd love to move us towards uh, what I what we call critical, right? Creativity, creativity in play. And this is important because some schools, I don't know if, if you see this in the Boston area, but I remember in Chicago, right? Like they, they uh, added new rules, more hours of school, more hours of really skill and drill, not changing at all instruction. And uh, that was interesting while ripping away like PE and the arts and things where folks can, uh, students, right, can, can express their creativity and play. I just thought that was terrible. Meanwhile, everybody who was making those, you know, those rules, their kids went to the private schools that had an abundance of play and creativity and drama and all these kind of things. So talk to us about creativity and play. Yes, yeah, so I couldn't agree more with you. I have seen um, so many negative effects of this kind of cutting down of resources, cutting down of play. And especially at a time when kids are we're facing an obesity crisis, we're facing so many children with attention deficit disorders and other um, attentional and executive function issues. The more we cut down on recess and thinking we're supporting kids to learn more, the more counterproductive it is. So I would really encourage ruckus makers of all grades to not do that. I think that's really poor um, planning, poor instruction, and really just setting kids up for frustration. So a lot of what my work focuses on is figuring out how do we have um, conversations that help children open to learning. And children can't be open to learning if they're physically unwell, 
if they're unable to express themselves and if unable to have unstructured play. So for me, that's a foundation. Um, at the same time, I really want to emphasize that play goes beyond sort of playing outside, which I think is mm-hmm. completely critical, but it goes also to playful thinking and learning. So even the ways we do science experiments, for example, can be very playful. If we think about, for example, supporting students to act like detectives, to figure out their questions, to refine their questions, and to realize that the greatest scientists in the world are the ones who ask the best questions. They're not the ones who have all the answers. So I think we really need to shift the framework, not only to emphasizing play, as we tend to think of play, but even emphasizing playful thinking and learning um, when we're in the classroom. Yeah. You know, I've worked with leaders and uh, sometimes I ask them, like, what's the silliest question, you know, you come up with? What's the worst idea that you could, you know, share with the group? And I sort of play with those edges because, yeah, some of them are silly and some are really terrible. But then sometimes people say something because you re- you've removed the risk of failure because you're saying, give me terrible stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But exactly. actually, sometimes some really brilliant right ideas are expressed. Mm-hmm as a result of, uh, I guess, removing the constraint of failure. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for, for giving the idea about science and how we could add play. Is there anything you want to add to that? I see you nodding and maybe you're just... Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. I actually, I, I love that. And actually, so I wanted to okay. add something, which I do also yeah, often, yeah. Um, which is to talk a lot about non-examples when you're talking about a concept as well as examples. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I've done a lot of that work when, because it really does help students clarify their understanding to say, well, okay, give me an example of that, but let's talk about what are non-examples or not examples of that. And you could be crazy. You could be kind of close, um, but that really helps students refine their understanding of concepts at the same time as they're playing and they're brainstorming and they're kind of probably laughing with each other. Um, and so it really does create a more playful and relaxed environment for learning. Yeah, and opens you up to to breakthrough. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for that. And hey, I'm going to own this in terms of the question. I forgot to check in with you, but let's just be authentic and real here on the show. I don't, I don't remember uh, if you have a resource or not that you'd like to point people toward in terms of downloading from your website. But if you do have one, now's a great time to talk about Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, I do have on my website, you can sign in and get an, I have a weekly newsletter. Um, and then also I have sort of a top tip sheet so if you um, want to just go on and download it, it's just a really simple things to keep in mind for having rich talk. So I think it could be really useful. Great. And is that on RebeccaRoland.com or somewhere Exactly. Else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, RebeccaRoland.com. Okay. Perfect. And we'll have that linked up for sure in the show notes. So people okay. can click that link and get there pretty easy. All right. So now we are at the questions I ask all my guests. And I cannot wait to see how you answer. So Rebecca, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message read? So I did think about this and I would say um, the message would read small interactions accumulate. Um, Mm. And I think why is that we often think about big goals for education, but we don't think about how all those small moments are building up to the big goal. So that's what I would actually want everyone to keep in mind. Great. And now you're building your dream school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. So how would you build your dream school, Rebecca? What would be the three guiding principles? Yeah, so I think the three guiding principles would be authenticity, communication, and belonging. I think Mm -hmm. children really need to feel like they're part of a community. They need to feel grounded in place, um, in history and time. 
but also to feel as though they can hear others and to be heard. So I'd really want to emphasize these kind of conversations that are teaching not just how to speak, but also reflective and active listening skills. Because I think if we can raise a generation of children who are able to do that, we are really on the way towards improving so many things in our society. So a few things I would really want to emphasize. Um, First is just, I would love to have materials, whatever I could find for conversations to be made visual. So for example, I think it's so important that, you know, if we're talking about math and someone says, oh, I think it could work like this, you know, I would love them to just be able to take materials and build what they're thinking so that everyone can sort of see alongside each other what's happening, um, which I think would be really, really important. I would also like to have kind of floating classrooms so that children can move between ages, between grades, depending on their interests and skills, um, rather than feeling as though kind of they're stuck in one grade doing one thing because of their age. I think so often we don't, you know, differentiate as much as we could. And I think having kind of really flexible differentiation would be super important. And then finally, I think I would really love students to learn not just about the environment, but really in and through the environment. So I would love to have kind of classrooms that are in the woods, classrooms that are near rivers, you know, where we're actually talking about things as we're seeing them. We're talking about natural phenomenon, um, for example, responding to um, how the river is flowing, thinking about where that river is going, things like that. And I think those kind of natural in-person experiences can go so far into supporting children to become environmentally aware, but even to understand concept, you know, conceptually things they couldn't understand otherwise. Wonderful. I'm going to give you an honorary gold star, Rebecca, because you, you might not know this, but in Mastermind Unlocking Talent Within Every School Leader, my latest book, I have some framework that I call the ABCs of Powerful Professional Development. And we were very aligned. A is for yeah, authenticity. Nice. B is for belonging. Of course, you know, you, the author uh, of, of Rich Talk, you know, that art of talking with children, um, C is communicate. For me, C is uh, C is challenge, right? Ah, so nice. anyways, so bonus, you get That's the gold great. star. That's okay, <laughs> cool. Well, we covered a lot of ground today, Rebecca. And so of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? So I would want a ruckus maker to remember that great leadership requires great listening skills. I think the mm. more we talk about communication, the more we should think about How are we listening to those who are in front of us? How are we waiting before we respond? And just to take one moment and reflect on that, especially when you feel triggered, you feel upset, angered, whatever, whether it's by an adult or a student, uh, I think that would go so far to improving our relationships. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.